Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. I, I have not been here. And so I had a few people that I met this morning, and they were like, uh, sir, would you like a visitor card? Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I, I'm excited about today. I feel like God's going to do a lot in your life. When you come to church, come, come expecting. The worst thing that you can do is be churchy. Churchy people feel like they know it all, that you've heard it all, because you do a Bible study or a podcast that, you're like, I got it. But here's the thing is that life happens to all of us. And I believe that we all need words in due season. Due season. And so today you're hearing a little bit more kid, uh, a little bit more babies. We've got our baby preacher, Ro. Uh, and so we are, before we get in, we're doing a sermon series called Full House. And um, today we're doing a little bit of baby dedication and then we're going to get into the word. So it's exciting. So we're teaching our kids really young how to amen the service. And so um, I wanted to talk a little bit just real quick before we get into this. So in church, when you come, worship is not just singing. It's part of it. We want you to have an expression. We don't want this to be the latte yuppie church that you're like, hey, hey, hey. And the first three songs, you don't know what to do with yourself. Like we, we want you to encounter the Lord. We want you, God inhabits the praises of his people. And so we actually believe that when we have our time in worship, like this ain't the karaoke Jesus portion where you just kind of like, and you know, we know that in every season and every dispensation in people's life, they are coming to God. And we believe that these songs will help resonate and communicate things that you might not have been thinking about that you can get out of your soul. That's why people are like, oh man, when's this church going to sing shout to the Lord? Uh, because in a time in your life, you resonated with that song and it was an, it was an expression of where you were at. And so... And so those moments are still happening even though some of the songs you don't know or they, the beat may be different or you feel like the words are a little longer. They're just an opportunity for you to start a conversation with the Lord. There are sometimes you may not even need to sing our, our words. You just may need to like, but, but we're not asking you to just stand in attention for 15 minutes and feel awkward. We're actually trying to come into the presence of the Lord with, come on, with, with boldness and assurance that it's, it's not our deeds that get us in, come on, but it's kind, his kindness and his presence. Come on, y'all help me now. Come on. And so there will be times that we do four songs, five songs. There'll be times that we do three songs. And, and, and I want you to know that at every intersection of the service, there is worship happening. And so today we have some families that want to dedicate their children. And you can see this even in the Old Testament. Um, but, but, but a child dedication is not, uh, they are instantly becoming saved. They're gonna, all these children are going to have to make a decision on who they're going to serve, 
all of them are going to have to decide themselves in moments of tension uh, what I'm going to believe. But we do see that parenting all throughout the Bible is like a gift. Come on, somebody. And, and our culture sometimes is communicating like it's a burden because it's hard because slowly we're a culture that doesn't like to do hard things. <laughs> but the Bible is like, yo, if I give you a child, it's a reward. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I would encourage you, if you have are holding on to this scripture and you are young and folding and forming your family, go back because most of us don't know the two verses before and the one verse after. And this verse, the full context of this verse is you got to keep getting healthy and you got to keep healing. And if you keep pursuing the wake of what you let God do will have a ripple effect in their life. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? And so we, the Bible here says, come on, train them. Train them. It does not say lecture them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. Oh, hear, hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and might. Come on. That's why we want to... We, we want you to, to grow in your strength, your capacity to do hard things, your capacity, your mental capacity. We, we don't want a fragile church. Come on, listen. We want a strong church, and you got to love the Lord with your mind, intellect. You're going to have to learn some things. Come on. And so there are heart churches and head churches and, and do churches, and we want to be all three of those. And these words that I've commanded you today, shall be on your heart. Now I'm going to, the Bible's going to give us a parenting lesson. You shall teach them diligently. Everybody say diligently to your children. Okay, listen, diligently, not occasionally, not eventually. Come on. This is why CEO Christianity won't work. Christmas and Easter only. Because it's not diligent. Come on, look at this. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, it should be a conversation. So here's what the Bible says that I would love to challenge you in. Private faith actually doesn't produce anything in someone else. Well, my faith is very private. If you were going to be intellectually honest, there is a reason why you say that. And you say that is because there's a lot of um, uncomfortableness around the Lord. And you don't know how to contextualize that. But I will tell you this. Your kids will never walk into what you don't communicate. And so it actually totally destroys the notion that I can just do church on Sunday and that's enough. I just need every parent in the room to know that your kids are being discipled. They're being discipled by TikTok. They're being discipled by social media or YouTube or Hulu or Disney. And if they're getting more culture than they're getting Christ, don't be upset when they're 19 and they think like culture. 
Come on, hear what I'm saying. You can be mad about it or not, but, there, but God didn't give us children to be passive. God gave us children to be intentional. It would be crazy for you to speak more about their finances than their heart and where they're going to spend eternity. It would be crazy for you to wonder where they're going to go to college and what their SAT score is rather than indicate the score of what God is doing in their heart. And I'm just telling you that it's a, it's a job. The Bible tells us that parenting is teaching, teaching is communication, training is application. And so basically that is seeing, saying, and showing. You are seeing things in them. You're communicating God's principles to them. You are saying it until they say it. And then ultimately in time, you show the results of what you've been saying. Come on. I haven't been here in a couple weeks. I'm coming out strong. And so these parents today are committing their their families and their children and they're saying God these aren't just blobs of tissue there is value in life and we are like Hannah knowing that there's a calling of God on their life and we, we don't know if it's ministry or marketplace we don't know if it's education or whatever we don't know any of that but, but what we do know is that for me and my house, come on, we're going to serve the Lord. Does that make sense? And so this means when they come up here as a church, we're now entering into a partnership. They're committing to God. There is the big C and the small C. The big C church is like, hey, listen. We're setting the foundation, and we understand that the concrete's going to be wet, but we believe as they come through our church that it will harden, and that we'll be able to build some great things. And so we are, as a church, are committing to spiritual development. They, parents, are allowing the kids' programs and the kids' workers and the, the student ministry and the culture of the house to begin to influence their children. And so that will take pastors and staff and teams and church members. So here's the deal. You need to be here. <laughs> if we were going to be honest, and if you're, you come regularly, your kids get in the car and they say, we didn't see so-and-so. You want to know why? Because they're watching you. This means that we're entering into a family. And so, here, so, so, so that's the fun part. The other fun part is so when your kid's running in the hallway, we're going to be like, hey, slow down. Get your feet off the chair. We love you. <laughs> Come on. And so for us, God is doing something, and we don't see this as small. We actually see this as significant. And so families, would y'all go ahead and come up? Come on, y'all give them all a big hand. committing to have the doors open 
Part of your tithe is the, is the discipling of the next generation. Come on, just give me a second here. There is something that we're doing, generational impact. We're making commitments for spiritual moments, spiritual encounters, for there to be moments and conferences and, and, and mentors and, and mo all. We're making a commitment to them, and they're making a commitment to, like, to like be here. We can't, we can't help disciple and be a part if they're never here. They're committing to, to give. They're committing to, 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 to put their resources so that what we provide for them, they get to provide for now the 13, 14, and 15-year-olds when they get here. Come on, let me talk to you about showers real quick. If you want people to come to your shower, you have to go to a shower. Do not get mad when nobody showed up. You ain't never showed up. You've been in the church five years. You didn't show up to no one's shower. You thought everyone would just come bless you? It's a relational thing. Come on. And so these, these parents were so honored. And Sydney, are you here? Uh, right here. Okay, all right, all right. Sydney is our next gen director. Uh, let me just tell you this, that we're not playing games in our kids' area uh, from, from babies to tots to kids' church. Like if you have a calling, if there's something stirring, like you love kids, obviously you're gonna have to go through a background check and go through some training. But, but the truth of the matter is, like if there's a calling on your life to, to do that, um, man, we got a lot of young people. In each service, we have around 80 students in our program. Come on, does that make sense? So Sid, come on. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to just celebrate life today. And Pastor Stephen, he already started off, but he had a lot of good words to say. But um, we are excited to celebrate life. And I, I just want to encourage you to be intentional with this moment. So we're going to go through, and I'm going to introduce you to these families and, and say the child's name and then the verse that this family is committing to pray over this child. And so I would ask that you would be intentional in this moment. Remember this child's name. Remember this family's name when you see them in the hall or you see them sitting in the sanctuary, be intentional with that. And so we're gonna start over here. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna introduce you to the parents, the child, we'll read the verse, and then we'll go ahead and cheer and get excited for each family. So right here, we've got Lakin Joanne Henricks. Her parents are Austin and Lauren Henricks. And the verse they're praying over her life is Psalm 23, two through six. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So give it up. Awesome. Right here, we've got Oliver James Hobson. His parents are Wade and Trisha Hobson, and the verse is Isaiah 43, 1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Then right here, we've got Eleanor Jane King. Her parents are Garrett and Aaron King. And the verse they're praying over her life is Luke 1, 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Awesome. And then we have a Brinley Ray Nethery. 
Her parents are Trent and Allie Nethery. And the verse is Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then we have River Melody Olson. Parents are Jaden and Abigail Olson, and the verse is John 1 9. Remember, I commanded you to be strong and brave. Don't be afraid, because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Oh my goodness. And then right here we have Charlie Ray Wilbur. Her parents are Casey and Emily Wilbur, and the verse is John 14 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then right here, we've got Blair Ree Wood. Her parents are Jared and Mackenzie Wood. And the verse they're praying over her life is Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's awesome. So here's the deal. Our staff, our team is, is getting, and we're going to pray for all these babies. Come on, put your hands out here. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for every life. Father, we thank you for purpose and protection. Father, we're asking that you begin right now to stir something, to mark them. Father, in their soul, in their mind, in their strength. Father, I pray right now that you would bring the right people into their life. God, that you would bring, remove people from their life. That there would be a hedge of protection around every child. Father, we pray for health. Father, we pray, Lord, for their mates, for their future. Father, we pray for every father right now in Jesus' name. Father, the mantle of leadership. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you would make roads clear and straight. And Father, that you would provide all that they need. God, we pray for every mom right now in those late nights, in those nights where uh, it, the decisions need to be made. Where heaviness ha is, is there. Father, that, that you would also be there in peace. And Father, Lord God, clarity understanding father as we do with friendships sleepovers all the things that parenting brings father i'm asking that you anoint these couples and father we ask that you move on their life in jesus name come on and everybody said amen y'all give them a big hand awesome Thank you guys so much. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's great. Come on, give them another hand. Give them another hand. This is great. We don't really think that this is a disruption to church. We think this is what church does. And so, uh, yes, I, I got a lot to say. And usually when I have been gone a long time, uh, I got bow barrels. So, uh, 
but but I will say that um, you know we want to be intentional with our kids, and so um, we love them and we believe that they're a blessing. And now, obviously, if they start um, talking and preaching too much in the sermon service, you can take them out and put them in the lobby and and have them watch the service online or whatever. I mean, we we, we deal with tensions. We have four kids. And so there are days when I want to bless them and there are days that I'm like, no. <laughs> and so um, I'm excited about what we're gonna talk about uh, today. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna jump into it. Are you ready? So let me just say this before we pray. Um, man, take notes, um, learn. Don't sit through lectures. Don't sit through lectures. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform some things in your life. Father, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. God, we do thank you for a full house, a full house of um, uh, gifts and spiritual gifts and, and um, personalities and people. And Father, I pray that um, as we continue on as a church, God, that you would give us the wisdom and understanding on how to move forward with so much um, diversity and different different stories and allow us to um, uh, make you uh, the goal in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever prayed the bold prayer, Lord, help me love people better? Did you ever make that mistake ever in your life where Lord, help me love people better? better. If you prayed that prayer or made that statement, um, you just chose a partnership with forgiveness. <laughs> you didn't know that? You thought it was going to make you soft and fluffy, but it actually was going to cause you to forgive again and again and again. Over the last couple of years, there have been a few key phrases that have stuck with the public. Um, I'm going to throw out just a couple. Fake news. Fake news is now something that, you know, you may say in your house when your, your child is like, I did take out the trash. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> like, like the reality is that, that term came about when there was so much disinformation and misinformation that was coming out to the public. Zone out. Zone out. Are you, are you seeing a lot of zone out? Phones and, and electronics everywhere and all of a sudden you're having a conversation with someone and you realize they're not even there. Like they're mentally like, whoop-boo. <laughs> like, you're, like you're present, but you're not present. You're zoned out. And then uh, church hurt. Come on. Last 10 years, church hurt is a phrase that has attached itself to the church. And I'm not questioning the fact that people get hurt uh, from believers in the church. I'm just thinking that we need to include more people. I don't want to be an inclusive church. So I think we should add school hurt, mechanic shop hurt, economy hurt, fast food hurt, political hurt. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. So I think we need Jerry Jones hurt. I'm just like, <laughs> it is interesting that Church hurt is not human hurt. As if because we teach the Bible, everyone who deals with me should do the Bible, except for when I don't do the Bible. When in reality, 
It's just human people hurting human people deciding to either not or do what God has said. And we have Cain and Abel. One did what God said. One did not do what God said. God came to him and said, will you please change your countenance? He said, no, I'm not. And he killed his brother. First family hurt. The church is not a controlling entity. It gives you the message. It trains you in the message. It equips you in the message. But you have to choose the message. That's it. Why is church hurt on the rise? Have pastors, leaders, and church members become more evil than in any other time in history? No. There has always been hurt. There has always been misunderstandings. There has always been difference in perspective. There has always been disagreements when people get closer in proximity. We don't want to become a church, a nation, or a world of victims. For years, we've grown up with people telling us You can do anything. You can go anywhere. You can achieve any goal if you just dedicate yourself and you work hard. And this feeling is a feeling of empowerment and excitement until you run into a relationship that derails that mindset by being different, resistant, broken, or deceptive. These are the people that you are going to run into in your life. Surrounding you today in this church are different kinds of people with different personalities and love languages. But beside you is, personality-wise, there are pushers and pausers and planners and partiers. And that all of these people are different. And if you don't get to know people enough, their differences will be annoying. Surrounded you today are resistant people. People who are really navigating the the, the tension of faith and fear. Doubt and trust. Will I step here or will I not step here? And and what's going on in my life? And, And because of the situations in my life, I don't know who to trust or where to trust or what, much faith to have or what should I do and there's just resistant people surrounding you today are broken people people with real experiences of hurt and pain and you will have to decide are you going to build walls or bridges are you going to harden your heart or are you going to repair the breaches sadly it's the one we don't want to talk about there are people even in this room that are deceptive People that externally have one motive, but internally have another. Not every motive you find in church will be a kingdom-focused motive. So today, let's unpack this, because if we're going to be a full church, if we're going to do what God has called us to do, and we're going to have this assignment as a church to do life with flawed people, then I think that 
the church is actually going to have to take a different position than the world. My assignment today is full of forgiveness. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19 says this, Who is a God like you? You pardon iniquity, passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his steadfast love. 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot and will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. So who is like God? Here is the father's nature. He pardons iniquity, sin. He passes over transgressions. He doesn't stay angry. He delights in love. He gives compassion repeatedly and destroys the evidence against us. That's a pretty good deal. It's better than the timeshare you might be struggling with. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 says this. Now, here's, here's another part. Um, uh, because most people uh, love to hear what they want to hear, but here's just a greater context in this conversation of forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Your trespasses. Everyone here has trespasses. Everyone here has trespassed over the line of here is a human that God created that has intrinsic value and we've trespassed. We, we've come over the line and we've done something or acted in a way that is inappropriate. We've all offended somebody. We've all had selfish, fleshly, me first actions. For those in the kingdom, forgiveness is not a suggestion. For the world, I am not badgering or beating the gong of forgiveness. I am beating the gong that you were loved. But for the church, you're going to have to wrestle this down. Knowing that you, every one of you have a story and a context, you're going to have to get to pass what I feel to what is true. So let's jump into a very familiar passage today from the Gospel of John. The story is about a woman caught in adultery. The response that Jesus gives in this scenario, it, I feel like it is very healthy for the church. My hope is that as we begin to enter this touchy, toxic, tender area, that the Holy Spirit would minister to you today. So I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna do about 22 minutes. So don't overly fidget. <laughs> if you've got to go to the bathroom, fine. But, but let's kind of have a calmness come over because there's been a lot of movement because I, I really feel like 
this sermon can move you out of bondage. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and now the law, Moses Now, because of the law, Moses commands us to stone such woman. What do you say? This, they said, to test him that they might have a charge to bring against him. So you're seeing the motive. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask, he stood up. And said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, this is so important, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones. You need to remember that. And Jesus left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said, woman, said to her, woman, uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now, sin no more. There is so much in this story that we could extrapolate from the text, but I I want to be very clear in our focus of, of looking at this, that as we set this up, there, the Sadducees, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees in this text, they are trying to entrap and entangle Jesus. This story is not about the woman, although it does, we pull out a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. Okay. The Mosaic law called for the stoning of adultery. Bottom line, Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. Deuteronomy 22, 22 through 24, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lays with the woman and the woman, you shall purge this evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, and you shall bring them both out of the gate of the city and you shall stone them, to death with stones the young woman because she did not cry for help though she was in the city and the man because he violated his neighbor's wife you shall purge this evil from the midst this verse has gotten just a lot of pushback and and I will tell you that the more secular our society gets the more people argue with the Bible this Bible this verse is not about rape this verse is about adultery okay so just Refuse all of your triggers and come and don't lose the point. Here is the point that you need to know. Moses, God was moving a people out of bondage and slavery. And there was no God and they had sex with anybody and everybody. And God was trying to purge a society from them. And so people would 
do whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do, and there was lawlessness because Pharaoh and the Egyptians had the strength and they could do whatever they wanted to do. Israel grew up underneath that. They were acting the same way. There is a reason that over and over again, Moses had to deal with a hard hand with the people because there were no laws. They were not governed. People were doing whatever they wanted and Moses knew a society that engages in adultery will produce more hurt and it was evil. That's why God said, don't do it. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with a wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Morally and culturally, it was understood that adultery was a sin and it was an evil, listen, and it should be dealt with. Okay, I want to talk to you. Everybody bring down your tensions. It is still evil. It still has an effect. Hear me. And so, the greatest thing that we can do as believers is posture ourselves under the word where we don't see correction as rejection. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. If we have to avoid truth to make you feel better, then you're about to be broken. Come on, is this true? Okay. Here is the trap. Let's talk about the trap. If he, Jesus went against the law, he would be charged in the middle of the people because he was talking against what once Moses said. Okay? If he gave in to the law, he would lose influence with the people because he was talking about my father, mercy, grace, love. And so he was in attention. Do I choose the people or do I choose Moses? They wanted Jesus to choose between gentleness and righteousness, between mercy and judgment and justice. And I am telling you that as you live life, you will find yourself in the tension of which one do people make me choose? So let me give you three things that you need to know about forgiveness. The first one is this. The presence of grace isn't the absence of consequences. One of the key takeaways of this story is Jesus and his love for this woman. A concept that overwhelms the original intent of this moment just because this woman was given grace doesn't mean that she didn't experience shame, embarrassment, future relational tension. My point is that every sin will always have a consequence. We live in a culture where right and wrong are subjective and many want to live as if standards, commitments, and choices don't matter. It is true, Jesus found a way, listen to this, to validate the woman and give her grace. He didn't validate what she did. He validated who she was. This is a tension in the church. 
He didn't validate who she was because she deserved it, because she was a great person, because she mostly did nice things. It's not because she was, he didn't validate her because she was treated unjustly by these trickery religious people who obviously put all this together in a manipulative fashion. The man didn't come. We read the verses. It was always the man and the woman. And now they want to kill this woman. That man is not there. It is obviously an an entrapment. The law said you had to catch them in the act. So obviously this was preordained. Get her. She does that. Pay her to come here. Do that. We'll watch. Grab her. Like it was not, it was deceptive. And Jesus didn't validate her because other people were mean to her. She was validated because Jesus' love was bigger than her sin. As believers, we must embrace the tension like Jesus did. Come on, like Jesus, we find ourselves in the middle of law and grace. Law and grace. And when it aggravates you and it's against you, sometimes we want the law. But when it's you, you want the grace. And and I'm just telling you, if we're not careful, we will be inconsistent. It's in these types of moments, I would ask you, before you give your opinion that you would do like Jesus and pause. There's no denying that she was a sinner. She messed up. Look at me. The truth was out. The deed was done. She is living through a mess, but Jesus is with her. He did not approve her lifestyle, but neither did he condemn her. He simply forgave her. As believers, we don't want, as believers, we don't want people to get what they deserve. We're not hoping that child grows up and it's just like, we don't want that. We want to avoid that. We don't gloat and want to see people ruined. We are not trying to pick teams and decide who is on team truth and who is on team grace. Jesus shows us that you can be pro-truth and pro-grace because the truth is what lesson do we really want people to know? Don't ever mess up. Or when you mess up, you can be redeemed. What lesson do you want your kids to come under? Don't ever mess up. Or mess ups can be redeemed. Here's a second thought. Refuse to throw the stone. One of the ways Jesus navigates the tension of the law and grace is he provides perspective. Perspective. 
This is why you come into church. This is why you do Bible studies. This is why you do all this, because you need perspective. While there may not have been many adulterers in the crowd that day, there were still people who had broken the law. I find it interesting that it mentions the fact that the older people left first. Younger people will not leave first because younger people are full of passion and they think they're right. (laughs) Older people will leave first. Why? Because I am 48 years old and I have had wonderful moments and wonderful ministry and I also have regrets. Things I wish I hadn't done, words I wish I hadn't said, actions I wish I wouldn't have done. And there's a reason why the older people leave first. And there's a reason why in every church you need older people and you need younger people. You need younger people that can say we can take that mountain. And we need older people that say, hey, let me give you perspective because everything isn't like the way you see it on TikTok. Thank you for that golf clap. I can tell I haven't been here in a while. I am very aware, and you should be too, of your, the personality differences, the resistance, the brokenness, and even moments of deception. And church, I, I'm going to throw no stones. That doesn't mean that I will capitulate to culture and disregard truth. I want people to be free. I have stories. I have experiences. I have consequences. I have convictions, but I have no stones. The world says, throw the stone. Throw it. Can I have that, please? Oh, look at you. I got it. You got it? My wife been working out. I'm not going to throw it at you. (laughs) Church hurt defined. (laughs) I'm just going to place it right there. Here's the thing, is that the world wants you to throw these stones and there will always be a crowd to see the drama. We thirst for it. We would rather focus on your fight than our brokenness. College football is the scene. Come on. Anybody see Coach Prime? And, and, and Coach Jay uh, Norville from Colorado State. Words were taught all week long. There's been some drama. It's personal. It's personal. I thought, thank you, Lord, that I'm preaching the sermon on this week. Because we got so many people walking around. It's personal. The way you looked at me is personal. You didn't text me back. It's personal. Your kid said something And I'm assuming you're talking about me, so it's personal. But I've forgotten that kids say weird things. But it's personal. Come on. The crowd will always tee up your moment 
to put the rock in your hand and throw it. Always, always. They'll convince you you're right to throw it. They'll say you deserve to throw it. And if you don't throw it, they'll call you weak. But it won't help. House family, for us to be wise, we got to make sure we know who we're listening to. In the moment when your feelings are like at level 10 and all you see is rocks and all you envision at night is throwing them at someone's skull, don't take on someone's offense when you don't know the whole story. Don't throw the stone. A person's pain can receive care, but that doesn't mean their perspective is correct. Don't harden your heart against your parents. There's way more to their story than you even know. And it's so easy to be like, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. And my parents made this much their whole life and they should have invested it. Oh my God, they're so dumb. leave your job or church or relationship full of resentment and call it righteousness don't throw the stone well they lied to me or you assume something because there was a miscommunication because people are different don't live under vengeance <laughs> we're not trying to get everybody back we don't need to pay everybody back for what they did to us. I need you to feel what you made me feel. Shout to the Lord. <laughs> Packing a bag of stones ready to destroy all of those who sinned, wronged, and hurt you is heavy. It's affecting you. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your kids. It's affecting your friendships. Be careful. Don't take the advice of stoners. Okay, that was kind of a dad joke moment. I get it. That was bad. That was bad. I know it was bad. You, you, you don't want, someone's like, amen. I've done it. Amen. <laughs> Y'all want to play catch? Um, listen, you, you don't want people in your life who have the loudest voice to have the most forgiveness failures. Actually, I'm gonna do everything opposite of what you just said because I'm your only friend and you're 47 and you've been alive a long time and you have no friends. And I'm your only one. 
so I'm going to love you and we're going to do life together, but I don't know if I'm going to be running to Facebook or, or running to send that text or pick up that rock and hit someone's car at night hoping they don't have any cameras. <laughs> Come on, you hear what I'm saying? Here's the third one. Minister healing, not mismanage hurt. I am 48 years old and I am still learning how to be free. In every conversation and every pressure situation, stress, complicated story, I have to make a decision. Is it gonna be healing or hurt? I wish I could tell you that after 28 years of serving Jesus, healing was automatic. But I got feelings. I get angry. <laughs> I have moments. And I got to pause. And usually the first feeling is the wrong one. Come on, does this make sense? There will there is more to your relationship with Jesus than just a Bible study, a serve project or a conference. God wants to heal, come on, you. We've all been hurt. As we grow, our church will be full of forgiveness. And we'll have to be. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we are always going to open the doors to bring in broken people who don't do every action and response in a healthy way. And the second thing is, we'll always allow leaders to grow and gain experience and they will not know how to handle every situation because they're learning how to handle situations. So we're gonna experience two types of hurt all the time. A growing church will gather more hurt people and we will minister to that hurt and give people time and, and we will minister with both compassion and conviction. Jesus will do the work and the Holy Spirit will move. That's what we're doing. Truth and love without the anointing are just disciplines. The anointing happens when the word, Holy Spirit illuminates the word and produces a changing revelation. When we repeat this often, it's because it's easy to forget. Like Jesus, come on, I'm, I'm wrapping up. We have a real opportunity to feed optimism with our friends and our families and our neighbors. This optimism that I'm talking about is hope. Hope, hope, come on, don't zone out on me. The idea of redemption isn't only for certain people. The adulterous woman left with hope. And there are certain people in that crowd that were hoping she wouldn't leave at all. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. We will be a house full of forgiveness. And you will have to have courageous conversations. There will be miscommunication. You will have to let things go. You will have to grow up. 
If you want long-term people in your life, you're gonna have to overcome things. Most relationships live at about 80% and there's 20% that's always off. And you're just gonna have to decide, am I gonna live in a world full of humans? Am I gonna go to a church full of humans? Am I gonna be in a life group full of humans? Am I gonna let imperfect people begin to tell me about a perfect Jesus? Come on. God doesn't want us stuck in sin, shame, blame, or criticism. Forgiveness is powerful. It's something that you can't get from Walmart, community events, or social networks. Come on. The church should be the catalyst for ministering, healing, not mismanaging hurt. And we will all be hurt by somebody. But that's why we always need to forgive. And so here's my challenge to you. Come on, let's teach it. Let's encourage it. Let's work it out in our life. Let's give it freely and let's model it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.